joined on the line by Ellie Gilbert. How are you going, Ellie? I'm going well, thank you. Yeah, uh, Lake Cow. Can you, can you tell us just a, a smidgen about Lake Cow? Um, well, assuming people don't know much at all, um, Lake Cow sits in the very centre of New South Wales, and it's an ephemeral lake, which seems to operate on a 20-year cycle. We looked at all the records for it, so it's basically 10 years in a wet cycle and 10 years in a dry cycle. So we've just been through the dry cycle and now we've entered the wet cycle. And when it fills, it becomes uh, a wetland of international significance and birds migrate from the northern hemisphere, from Siberia and China and Japan and protected species come there, threatened species. And when it's been full for a few years, it becomes a major source of fish Murray cod and yellow belly and yabbies and catfish. And it's an absolute jewel in the landscape and it's in the heart of the Wiradjuri Nation. And right now, with all the rain, um, last year uh, the lake filled again. And now, with all this rain, um, that the river's up rising steadily. And that Nanamine, which is upstream from Forbes, the river was 11 metres, which is huge, so we've got a big flood coming down right now. And tragically, um, we were unable to stop a cyanide leaching gold mine being built there by a Canadian mining company, Barrett Gold. And we managed to delay it for five years. Um, the Department of Mineral Resources and the mining company was basically telling people oh, it was a dry old paddock. And that's what it looked like in the dry time. Um, but if you know the country, you know when it's in the wet cycle, it's just a totally jewel in the landscape. So a Canadian mining company um, has dug an open-cut pit, which actually extends into the lake bed itself. And then they've built a bund wall around the pit to keep the lake out. And back from the pit, about three kilometres back there, two massive great big tailings dam, they're a kilometre square each, and the mining company brings in um, 6,090 tonnes of sodium cyanide a year. How much was that? 6,090 tonnes. Every year? Every year, which comes in from Gladstone in Queensland, down a fourth world railway system, through... Um, national parks and over rivers and into the heart of Sydney um, because of the rail setup, it comes into the heart of Sydney, um, gets trucked across Sydney um, to the western line and then it goes out to, um, goes to Dublin and it gets trucked to the mine. So these are like containers of sodium cyanide that's made by Orica, which has been in the and as people realise, um, sodium cyanide is what um, was used in the death camps in the Second World War. How, how much of that six and a thousand tonnes would you would you need to uh, to knock yourself off? Uh, you need uh, if you've got a a teaspoonful of a two percent solution of sodium cyanide, a teaspoonful of that would be enough. And so, you know, there's enough to kill millions of 
area. And the the other madness is that Blake Cow actually sits in the bottom of the saucer of land. So over time, over millions of years, the lake has been a lot bigger than it is today. And But when it floods, it becomes an inland sea. And I think this is what's going to happen in the years to come. We're in that wet cycle, we've really just begun it. And when Oxley came was exploring, uh, he reported in his journal that he thought he'd found the inland sea because Lake Cow was in flood. And then when and the next plague came, he couldn't find it. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> But he couldn't get his horses through the land because the, the land was so cracked. When it dries, it cracks and you get these massive great fissures through the mud when it's hard. And at one point, he couldn't even get horses. Uh, so it's, a, it's an extraordinary country, and it's, it's really, really old. It's one of the oldest lakes in the world. And as my husband, old Kevin Gilbert, would say, Wiradjuri are among, well, are probably the oldest peoples in the world as well, or among the oldest people in the world. And it's an area where um, it's a sacred site, and where they chose to put the mine was on an area of huge importance. And back where the tailing dams are now, there were, that's where the people would have camped. It was all gill guys, and they're like little mini wetlands. So in a wet time, you'd have these little circles of wetlands. Um, and it was just a totally magic spot. And it was covered in grinding stones and axes and tools. And there were just so many that the uh, archaeologist, Colin Pardo, and I'll name him because he, he's accountable, uh, he didn't even bother collecting them. They got a consent to destroy. He got the consent to destroy for the mining company. And they didn't even pick up the stones. They just did um, 10 metre quadrats, recorded what was in a few quadrats, and basically then they got consent to destroy and the bulldozers went through. So it's totally heartbreaking what's, what's happened there. And now, um, a few months ago with the rains, um, one of our friends, photographer, flew over and took photographs and they're on the website and you can see the waters come right up to the fund wall that surrounds the Upper Cup Pit. And now with all this rain coming down at the moment, um, there's a weir on the uh, Kalara River, the Lachlan River at Gemalong, and just upstream from the weir is Gemalong Creek and that's the main creek that feeds into Lake Cow. So uh, if things were normal, the lake would be very full now, uh, but we haven't flown over to sea because the other factor is there are huge radio-controlled pumps set up in about, at least I know, three places, and they're designed to just pump the water away from the lake so the lake doesn't fill up too much. Um, I see. Are these to do with the mine? Or? Well, <laughs> it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both because the planning of the mine happened years ago when it also at the same time they set up irrigation for cotton. So it's sort of, I think it's a bit of um, a two-way street. And, but the point is if that whole saucer fills up, of land fills up with water, it becomes an inland sea again, well then there's nowhere to pump the water anyway. Yes, and when we right. did the early research on the flooding in that region, um, the Department of Water said it doesn't matter how we try to mitigate a flood, we can never mitigate a major flood. 
Uh, we've seen what's happened in uh, with the Teaser River in Romania, where they had a major cyanide problem. Ah, uh, that was the one that uh, killed off the Danube, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So, why people have to keep playing with this? Uh, it's all for greed, as we know. We don't need any more gold out of the ground. When um, Uncle Chappie Williams and I were in, uh, we were in New York at the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, and then we went over to the Barrett Gold AGM where um, Chappie made a made a statement. Um, but we also went to the Federal Reserve so we could see where gold ends up. And you go down five stories to the bedrock of Manhattan Island into the Federal Reserve where all the gold is kept, and there's like thousand tons of gold there <laughs> and it's all back in little cages with numbers on it <laughs> you know and, and we don't need... <laughs> what do they what do they do with the gold in the cages well it doesn't even underwrite the currency anymore yeah right so it's the setup but it was good for chappy to see <laughs> you know the, the full cycle of it and the amount they need for medicine or or electronics is and there's enough gold above ground to deal with that industry for decades ahead. We don't actually have to keep digging up more gold. It's just purely a, a, an economic thing. No, there are other ways to get it out of the ground that are, may well be more expensive, but uh, aren't as damaging. Yeah, there are, there are other, there are other ways. Um, this is the least expensive, and um, they've, you know, they want to expand the mine. And, what they're doing now, and and they applied to put in an even cheaper method for the expansion than what they were already using. And there are many countries in the world now that have banned cyanide heat leaching mines. So Australia is still uh, behind the eighth fallen. Yes. Okay. Well, I know you've got an early start in the morning, so I'll let you go. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wind up? I could just say that I now have to process <laughs> the footage from the 26th of January for SBS Living Black program because they're editing on <laughs> 5 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> Yikes. So we'll do that and I just wish everyone well and let them know that the Aboriginal Sovereignty Movement is really empowered now as, as of the 26th of January and everything before and after that. And so the decolonisation process for Australia is um, imminent. We have to decolonise to bring any balance back uh, and any assurity for Aboriginal people that there is a, there is a good future. Mm, well, wouldn't hurt to decolonise the whitefellas too, really. Well, this, this is who has to decolonise. <laughs> the whole country has to decolonise. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll chat about that with you sometime in the future as well. No worries. All right. All right. Thanks, Ellie. All the best.